to Floor Podcast. This is Brandon, your host, and today we're talking about philosophy. So strap in because this is a subject that I don't really know anything about. Just kidding, but in some ways serious too. So I've been waiting a couple weeks actually to talk about this um, since I read it in Atlas Shrug. Uh, this would be in part three, chapter seven. And this is the concept of, or the, the title, A is A, of the part. So, um, I, the reason it's been a couple of weeks is because I've been reading ahead. And um, I didn't want to talk about it in a podcast until I actually had released that we had gotten there in the book. So, that's why we are where we are. And so I have actually finished the book and I was reading some commentary about Ian Rand and uh, her views on objectivism and so forth. And A is A actually is a, is a thought in classical philosophy from Aristotle. So being someone that, um, has not studied philosophy, then of course it's somewhat revolutionary to me in that, um, you know, I've never really made any endeavor to learn or get into it. But in addition to that, actually, um, the entire book has an homage to Aristotle. So if you look at, and she said that, you know, A, a is A was named uh, directly from that. But if you look at the the other two parts of the book or sections of the book. The first one's named non-contradiction and the second one's named either or and then the third one is A and A. A is A, sorry. So what does that actually mean? These are all tenets of classical philosophy, philosophical belief. Um, Non-contradiction. So no one can believe that the same thing uh, can both be and not be at the same time. That's what non-contradiction means. So you can't say it's black and um, it's black and then you say it's not black at the same time, right? That's a logical error because it has to be one or the other. And I'm going to talk a lot about logic today, actually. Uh, we're going to get into that as the podcast goes on. But that's a contradiction. It's black and not black at the same time. Well, that's, that can't be. Either or is also binary logic, right? So it's either true or false. It can't be kind of true because it's still true. Or it can't be kind of false because it's still false. And it can't be kind of true and be false at the same time either, right? And then finally, A is A is is really the definition of something right so when we say um this calendar says it's january well we both have to agree that it's january because that's what the calendar says now this is a little bit tricky right when maybe you have a different uh calendar paradigm and I have done a little bit of looking into this, but, you know, different religions, um, East versus West, they have different starting dates and things of what they actually consider their new year. But 
if we can both agree that we're talking about the Gregorian calendar, right, and, and what day it is, then we should both be able to agree that it's January. I can't say it's January and you say, no, it's February, and, you know, end up with a productive debate on something. So that's A is A. Now, I mentioned that I have no training in philosophy, so I could be all wet here. Um, and, you know, this, this is the beginning of my journey, I would say, because um, this book has opened my eyes in terms of what I think really is the value of philosophy and really the value of sort of defining um, truisms. That's a lot about, truthfully, a lot about what our government and our, in, in the classical sense, was all about. That's why there were very few rules. In fact, that's why there was originally the Articles of Confederation, where there essentially was no um, government, uh, federal government, and, and each state was, was basically left to run the state as they see fit. But it didn't work out for some reasons, not a topic for today. But um, anyway, logic and philosophy and those kind of concepts is what we're going to go into. So as I said, yeah, I have no training, but, you know, I do have a scientific degree and a programming background that includes, you know, education in programming. So logic is uh, something that happens in slightly different terms there, but essentially the same. There's one outcome that happens as a result of several different decisions that are made. And so I, while, while I'm going to continue looking into what philosophy actually is and probably applying more of that throughout Alt F4, um, I have to say that I'm a rookie at it. So uh, let's see. The truth is, uh, I didn't actually, and I said this earlier, I didn't actually realize that classical, that Atlas Shrugged was based on classical philosophy. And in some ways, I might have been more interested in it, because as, as you may have noticed, these series of book reviews that I'm doing is, they do fit into a niche, right? They fit into this sort of um, totalitarian government and or egalitarian ideas right where um i think it fits in line with classical philosophical beliefs in terms of absolutes and so you know as i as i have mentioned in my writings i guess it was suggested to me to read this book i think um almost 20 years ago now, now at this point it would have been 2008 well I guess that's 15 years ago um, but I sort of drug my feet and I didn't really have a lot of interest and it really wasn't until I started doing this endeavor that I really got more cranked up with looking for literature that sort of fits into the genre that that I'm talking and writing about and really that's what inspired me to to get into um, Atlas Shrug. 
And as I've also said that I have more books coming up that are going to fit in the same vein and so on and so forth. So I guess what I'm ultimately trying to say is I, I may have been more energized to read this had I known more of the background behind it. But then again, I may not have to. Uh, I think it took a certain amount of maturity to get here. And um, I probably wasn't as interested in solving the world's problems. Not that I'm trying to solve the world's problems here. But what I'm encouraging strongly is that each person take control of their individual life. And um, if we all did that, then it would be a better world. So... Yeah, you could say indirectly I'm trying to solve the world's problems, but really I'm trying to help you solve your problems first. After you solve your problems, then we're all one big happy family, right? If you have no problems and I have no problems, then we don't have any problems together. So, All right, so let's start with the foundation here of what is philosophy. And the de definition that I looked up for philosophy was several but it's the study of the fundamental questions of life and philosophy is is an english word that has two greek words in origin philo meaning loving and uh sophie and meaning wisdom so the love of wisdom is another definition that's actually used for philosophy and my quote philosophy on things is I do believe that wisdom is more valuable than intelligence because um, at least you're an expert in the things you do know and uh, you can always aspire to learn more, i.e. increase your intelligence, right? The primary tools of philosophy are analysis and logic. And once logic is applied to a particular question, then an opinion can be formed to argue or present. So I'm going to talk about logic and I'm going to talk about arguments and I'm, and I'm going to talk about how this process works here throughout the rest of this podcast. But first we'll start out with logic in general. And logic is really binary. So logic is not a multiple choice question. Now, Imagine a light switch, and when you say turn the lights on, they're either on or off. There's no state where they're kind of on or kind of off. Um, if you were to take a light switch and possibly hold it in the middle position, uh, or maybe a light switch is a bad example, but there are cases, electricity is a really good case study because there are cases when there may be power flowing, but the output is not there. So you don't have enough um, amperage in the current to light the bulb. Really, if we look at that situation, we still have to say the, the power is on, right? The light might not be on, but the power is on. And that's what sort of gets into all the nuance of all these things. And so, you know, a simple on off example like a light switch is easy to understand but often life is not simple so in those cases you have to develop a series of logical tests in order to get to the same answer only when 
or, or, or an answer, I should say. And only when you get to an answer, then can you have a debate as to the truth of such items, because then you'll have a truly proven sort of path in terms of your logic. So let's talk about a more complicated example and how logic works in that kind of case. Now, you may not be familiar with gravel, and it may be a boring example, but I think it works well for illustrative purposes. So there's something that's called three-quarter minus. And what that means is that when you pull up in your pickup truck or get a dump truck full or less than or whatever, you get three-quarter minus, what you're supposed to get is rock, a pile of rock that is three-quarters of an inch or smaller. Or really kind of smaller than three-quarters of an inch. And so if you were to go to the gravel yard and and there was a or just look outside and there was a pile of rocks, what do you think the likelihood of that pile being fitting that three-quarter minus definition is? Pretty close to, to nothing, right? Um, the way they go about this is they'll take uh, some sort of tractor and they'll pour a scoop of that raw gravel on a, onto a screen. And let's say that screen is two inches and it has a vibrating mechanism on it. So they vibrate it. And essentially what happens is everything that stays above the screen where that pile, where that dump was made is above two inches in diameter because uh, it can't fit through the hole. So that's your first logic check. And then they may have uh, another screen that's one inch, right? So everything that's in that second screen is going to be uh, less than two inches, but greater than one inch, right? So then you have a, another fraction there. And then on the third screen, you might go three quarters of an inch. So what you get after that three quarter of an inch is what's called three quarter minus. Now, I'm not an expert in this process. I don't know that they go through that many levels of screening. They probably just go through one, to be honest. But when they're doing that, they probably just have a screen for three quarter minus and then they change it out. But regardless, I think you get the point here that we've, we have three binary checkpoints. Is it greater than two? Yes, that's fraction one. Is it in between two and one? Yes, that's fraction two. And is it um, in between one and three quarters? Yes, that's fraction three. And less than three quarters, that's fraction four. So, okay. How do we get there? We, we got there by binary mechanisms, right? It's binary. Using a screen is, it's not going to be 2.2 inches or two and a quarter inches, right? It has to be less than the size of those holes in order for it to proceed to the next level. So hopefully that helps. I mean, in my experience with programming, there's a discipline that's called automation, running machines, and the type of language that's used is what's called ladder logic. And within that ladder logic is typically, now they've become more advanced in terms of adding timers and things, but there's a bunch of binary decisions that are made and that's how you come out with the outcome to control the machine. 
So let's be honest here that uh, studying this discipline, any discipline, quite frankly, could be tedious and boring. I mean, maybe you t tuned in to hear me harangue on uh, any number of my favorite subjects or even college sports or whatever because you happen to listen to the one episode I talked about it with Festivus. But the reality is, is that, you know, we, we do have to study this stuff to understand and be able to apply it. But rather than trying to teach class in logic or philosophy, I think it's probably best that we look at the application first and then go back and fill in the methodology. So, this is what really leads me to talk about what I want to talk about today, which is A is A. And um, <laughs> I've done a few posts with that in there, namely um, talking around the book and so forth. But when you hashtag A is A, uh, it looks a lot like Asia <laughs> because there's no spaces in a hashtag, right? So... Um, when I first typed it, I was like, what am I typing? Oh, A is A. Yeah, Asia. Wow. Huh. Interesting. But um, anyway, that was just a cutesy little thing I thought I would uh, throw in there. Because I do plan on using that hashtag. It's, as I said, and I'm going to talk more about it, A is A has sort of rocked my world. And so I'm going to throw this out here right now that our society has become a group of cults. Let that sink in for a second. What does that really mean? Well, first I'm going to use an example. And then if I remember right, I'll come back and talk about it. But when I went to school, and it wasn't that long ago, and this is not an uphill both ways kind of story, but it was impossible to have access to the level of information that we have today because we didn't have the internet as it is. Um, even, you know, we, we had things like the library and we still have the library and the library does contain a lot of knowledge. Now, you know, depending on what library you're at, where it's at, what level it is, so on and so forth, will determine what kind of knowledge it has. Public library is gonna have um, a lot of fiction, a lot of local news, a lot of reference materials, and th you know, periodicals and things like that. But when you're really trying to get to the nitty gritty of things, the public library is not a great place to do searches like that. And I'm going to use an example here. I was in college in 1993 through 1997. And the, when I showed up for my freshman year in college, uh, we had something that was entirely new to me. It was called email. Um, it took, let's see, it took until my junior year before uh, we had anything called the internet on our computer system. And when I did my senior project in chemistry, one of the classes I had to take was references in chemistry, reference materials or something like that. And it was all about uh, what materials were out there and how to access them. So 
as you can imagine, I did go to a small school and uh, the number of scientific journals that they subscribed to was relatively low. Um, this was a liberal arts school, so you know their focus in general was generalized education. And you know they, of course, they did have a science department that uh, that issue offered and issued a few chemistry degrees every year, a few physics degrees, and a few and quite a bit more biology degrees, to be honest. But um, you know we probably had maybe 10 journals that I was interested in, at least in terms of my education and where I, where I thought I was going. And so in my senior project, I had to, or I decided to do something where I was extracting a compound called salicylic acid from willow and doing analysis with, with a scientific instrument called a high-performance chromatograph, liquid chromatograph, sorry. And so um, I won't get into all that exactly, but salicylic acid really is one of the precursors for the synthesizing of aspirin. And the fundamental question was really, could you chew on willow bark and get you know, some sort of relief, as in the common... Uh, common lore, right? And um, if so, was there different levels in different willows? And what was that level? And, you know, lots of different permutations of that. And so I did use the internet to search uh, for information on how to extract salicylic acid from willow leaves, willow bark, willow compounds, and and others for that matter because i won't go completely into my research project but ultimately what i found was i found one article one on the internet now it was a very helpful article and as it turns out you know it helped me in terms of extracting what process to use what chemicals to use and I believe it was successful. But in preparation for this podcast, I just did a quick Google search. And I found 196,000 results today when I did it. Now, I didn't look at every single one of them, of course. But um, I did take a look at a few of them. And uh, a lot of them were dated after I had done my project, which would have been in 1996 and 1997 as published work. So um, I guess what I'm trying to say with that is that um, today it is so much easier to find information even on super highly technical um, academic work. You know, I uh, we had these things, CD-ROMs, where I found found six articles and the way the way that process worked was you actually um, found where the article was then you had to fill out a submit form to get it you had to pay for it and then in about three to four weeks they would mail you a photocopied version of of that particular article 
um, you had to get the information or you had to assume the information that you wanted was contained within the abstract of the actual publication and that you weren't just wasting your time and money hoping that it would show up and, and actually be helpful to you. So I think that because we had to work in such manner um, at, at that time that our my academic schooling had to prepare us to assess and analyze information as we came across it. And not only that, but we also, I think, had to focus on, or at least um, we were encouraged to be resourceful because none of my advisors had any idea about how to do this. I mean, they had an idea, but they didn't have it, you know, in their pocket that, oh, you do X, Y, Z steps, you run it on the instrument, you validate it, you're wham, bam, and done. No, that was the whole purpose actually for the, for the project. And, um, and so, you know, there, there was an aspect to schooling back then that, you know, these are the tools that are available. This is how you use them. Good luck. And, uh, we'll be there to help you, you know, make it, make it through. It's not like today where, um, you know, it would, it would be so much easier to do this project because like I said, I could literally find the first the first article there, read it, and um, be on my way, not paying anything, not waiting for four weeks, not doing anything. Now, that's also to say that not every single article from a journal or everything is free, but at least being able to sort through them sh can short-circuit that information in a quicker period of time. Even things like vocabulary words, right? We don't we don't even have to learn those. Um, I think back in, I'll say the olden days, right, where you come across a word when you're reading, either for pleasure or scientifically, and you don't know, you can look it up and get a definition right now. Whereas before, maybe you were, uh, maybe you had checked the book out in the library, and you would have to go back to find out what those definitions mean so that type of skill is developing learning from the context around you rather than just being force-fed sort of well here's the problem here's the result and there you go we're done here um, and for that reason that's that's the reason why I say that our society has become a cult because we don't use a group of cults, I should say, because we don't use any analytical techniques with any information, right? We hear a statement and based on our bias, we either accept that as true or we accept that as false. And that's generally speaking, as far as a lot of that even goes. Um, we don't use logical analysis to make any decisions. Uh, so, for instance, you know, someone reads an opinion and, and like I said, with our bias, then, um, then we accept it whether it's true or not. So, oh, I wanted to use some, another example here, a more up-to-date hypothetical example. Let's say that I publish a series of articles saying Ford is the best brand of automobile. 
and I have good SEO skills or I've hired someone or whatever, SEO being search engine optimization, that's how you get your, um, your whatever your, your website or whatever you're putting out there at the top of the, the list when someone searches for it. Let's say I have good SEO and someone looks up what's the best brand of art automobile and my article comes up first. So this automatically becomes a status quo position in that person's head without any research, right? Why? Why is that? Well, because it's the first thing that came up. So it has to be the most popular, right? For that reason. And instead of so so if I'm doing if I'm looking to buy a car and I go, "Oh, well, here's the reasons why." And they use their if I use my, my skills of persuasion, right. And I put in all the good things and none of the bad things. And I sort of manipulate the output for why I believe that, uh, Ford is the best brand. And that's all you read. Well, you're automatically, you've automatically colored your, uh, your opinion there. And so, that's why I think that um, I'm not really a big uh, believer in things like Amazon reviews. I do think they can be helpful, but I also think they're very empty as well. And that's because what you have is you have people that have no really rounded experience commenting on something or, quote, reviewing something that they don't have any other basis to compare it to. You know, there's all, I mean, pretty much or almost any product you can imagine you can buy in Outlook, or sorry, not Outlook, in at Amazon. But if I bought, um, so for instance, recently I just bought uh, some gas can spouts because one of mine broke. And Amazon sent me an email saying, would you please review this? Now, I do have some basis to review it. When I put the spout on my gas cap, it leaks a little bit. It does not a precise fit like the original one was. And so, um, you know, I could put that into my, into my review. Now, the truth is, is do, do I know that I'm actually putting it on correctly? There's a gasket. There's a bunch of extra parts, uh, in terms of replacing all the little plastic bits that can be on the can. This is an old can. That's why the spout fell apart. But, you know, I don't have any experience with any other brands. When I searched it, I looked up a uh, replacement spout for Rubbermaid gas cans. And this was billed as a quote, universal replacement. I mean, maybe they're all that way. Maybe, um, may, you know, I, I just don't know. So I suppose when you're looking at reviews, you could say, I have a Rubbermaid gas can from the era of 2000 and this spout does not fit precisely on there and it leaks gas. That would be accurate. That also might be helpful, but oftentimes the I see a lot of reviews that are, this is junk, this is this, this is that. And that's because, um, you know, well, one, sometimes products have, are bad, you know, not everything is perfect when it comes out. 
So without giving the company an opportunity to correct it, or, you know, I've seen reviews where people are trying to use the wrong tool and the wrong application or the wrong blade and the wrong application. And, and so you just have to take these things with a grain of salt, which is why I very rarely ever look at reviews. I mean, I'm quite frankly, I'm bigger on brands than I am on reviews. And that's because if you were looking at a saw blade, for instance, and it's a, it's a brand that I can recognize, chances are their quality is probably reasonable or they wouldn't be around for the duration that, that they've been. And as you get to be more sophisticated and mature in whatever you're trying to purchase or replace or what have you, then you can start to build the, the database of knowledge in that I like this feature over that feature or this blade stays longer than that blade but you have a basis of comparison rather than I tried to make one cut, it didn't work, it sucks, it's a piece of garbage. And there could be all kinds of reasons for it, including do I know do I know that you even know how to operate a saw, right? Or you're trying to cut concrete with a wood blade, or you're trying to cut wood with a concrete blade, or whatever the reasons. So um, what I'm trying to get across here is that we we have to have a fundamental baseline of we we have to have a fundamental baseline of what logic means and that's the statement of of a is a so i'm going to use another example here and let's let's take it more contemporary again and let's say we're talking about the topic of equality and i would ask do we all agree on the definition of equality? Now, in my head, I don't think we do. And, I th and I'm going to go into that. And so if we're going to have a debate on equality, and we, and the two of us, two of us do not agree on what that definition is, what that actually means, then either we failed our logic check which is highly likely, or um, or we don't know how to debate. <laughs> I mean, that's really the the two sides, the either or, right? Um, so I'm I'm sure you can probably guess this, but my definition of equality does not include social justice aspects, and I believe that those subjects are inadequately defined, those subjects being social justice in terms of overall impact and measurement of level. What am I saying here, right? So when we talk about social justice and equality, we're saying that because of your gender, because of the color of your skin or, or race or whatever, whatever those are, that you are inherently set at a disadvantage. Now, would I say that that's probably true? I would, um, and, but but that's also um, that's more of a, a feeling, right? I mean, I'm 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 not tiptoeing around this, but what I'm what I'm trying to express is that um, I haven't walked in your shoes, 
this this person that we're talking about in terms of social justice. And I do believe that um, there there is an unspoken, I won't say it's a glass ceiling, but there is a there is an issue for some things, race in particular, gender I don't agree as much, and sexual orientation not at all. But um, ultimately what I'm saying is I'm not walking in your shoes, so I haven't had your experiences, and therefore I don't know, but I think so. Also what is true, though, is what is how is that defined? How is that inequity defined? Because you were born a woman, how has that harmed you in terms of your current trajectory and path, right? There's no way to actually define that. And because I do believe in absolute equality, that I think that if all things being equal, if we had the same opportunity, then we should potentially get the same results. Now, I don't think that necessarily with sports because I do believe that men and women are physically built differently. But if we're talking about things like career path, educational opportunities, so on and so forth, all things being equal is if, if we went to the same school, if we were born to the same parents or not the same parents, but if we were born in the same neighborhood, if we, if, if our parents were of same socioeconomic status, if we had a similar number of siblings, there's no reason why, um, we shouldn't be equal or at least relatively equal right and i say relatively because we'll never be equal man and woman will never be equal that's a logical fallacy but we're equal in our own ways in terms of pursuit of education because we have the same background upbringing and potential and so um you know i i feel like with with the topic of social justice that I'm not denying that there may be some inequities there, but there's no real way to measure them. And the only fair way to apply it is to make sure that everyone is on an equal playing field. So if I take someone that has an inferior educational background and, and allow them or permit them to go to my school because um, it fills out our diversity quota rather than um, competing on our own rights, then unfortunately, I think you have demerited your overall quality of results from your school because you're not taking the best people to get the best results. You're taking the people that meet your quota to do the best you can with what you have. And so I'm probably getting lost in the discussion of, you know, um, social justice versus equality. But what I'm trying to say here is that as long we, we cannot debate equality if we don't have the same definition of what it actually means. And so, um, as long as we both agree that equality is having the same opportunities, 
having an equal shot at the same opportunities, then I think we have a chance at debating that. But when you start throwing in things that are not actually uh, quantitatively measured and trying to use that in logic, then you have a, a logical failure. So unfortunately, you know, I think along the same lines, some people just have an unexplainable sense of being wrong. Um, and I think, you know, using another example of flat earthers here is, is a good place to be, to, to discuss that. So things like th math and known history and sailing and pictures from space and all those things should tell us that, that the earth is a sphere. Um, you know, there, there's such a thing with telescopes that you can look out to the horizon and what happens is you look out as far as the optic can see before the curvature of the earth changes to the point and you can no longer see it otherwise we could see farther with telescopes on earth um, I used to know someone that was Ukrainian and sh she was born in the Soviet Union and learned went to college and everything in the Soviet Union and she had she learned how to program there and she was a programmer for missiles and you had to program flight trajectory uh, for the curvature of the earth in order for the, for a missile to be able to hit its intended target I mean, so how can you categorically say that the earth is flat when there's no scientific data even supporting that even if you didn't believe we went to space how could you sail from san francisco and end up in new york by heading west you know it just doesn't make any sense um or sail from san francisco and end in san francisco for that matter right all by going essentially in the westerly direction so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to admit that there was there was a long period of time when people weren't technologically capable of determining that the Earth was was spherical and not flat. And we've gone through all the Copernicus and all that stuff in the blog. And but the reality of denying that that it's spherical is just kind of insane. So unfortunately, the uneducated among us will either don't have the premise or the desire to discriminate from information, or maybe they're just being obstinate. I don't know, but I'll leave it at that. So why do I keep wandering around? And that's really because A is A. What I'm trying to get across is that we must have a fundamental understanding of definitions if we're even going to have a discussion on the same plane. We can't debate climate change or constitutionality or abortion or whatever we, we're trying to debate if we're not open to a logical analysis. And we can't have logical analysis if we can't agree on the fundamental definition of things. So, I mean, unfortunately, I've experienced enough of this that so many people want to spew talking points or getting get in your face on topical issues without doing the precursor work of of logical analysis i think that 
if we did, we would have much less political disagreement and than we actually do because it would literally be impossible to analyze something like logic using logic and not lead us to a conclusion with the same outcome. So I guess I'm trying to wrap up here. So uh, I'm going to talk a little quick story inside tidbit, I guess, that when I was young, and I mean really young, more like high school age, I used to think that the ACLU was annoying until I really started looking at what they were doing. All I really saw was, you know, the outcome of some kind of ridiculous (laughs) questions and based on positions that they pushed, which I didn't like. Um, but the older I, I got, the more I sort of realized that it wasn't necessarily an agenda that they were pushing is that they were defending positions that are supposed to be absolutes, like in the question of constitutionality of things. And so, um, you know, I, I think they've become much less uh, prominent with the rise of so many more media uh, outlets and things that there are many more institutions that are doing similar kinds of things, you know, and, and maybe getting their voices out there. But I would say that in general now, when I look at their work, I say that I actually support what they're doing because they're doing it for uh, a cause, right? They're doing it for a noble cause which is the legality of what they're they're going after and so you know i guess i want to kind of end with this that if uh i know that my opinions can come off fairly strong and that i'm fairly secure and that i've done work to use logic in order to form those positions but Hey, if anybody out there thinks I'm wrong, wants to debate social justice or whatever, right? Let's do it, you know. Uh, Let me know. And uh, one of two things is either going to happen, right? Either I'm going to beat you in a debate because I will use the proper logic or you're going to beat me and I'm going to probably change my opinion, right? Because it doesn't make sense to continue to carry on when the facts say otherwise so that's where i'm going to end today challenge throw it down you want to debate me not hey if you want to you if you want to be interviewed for that matter let me know uh this is brandon with alta4.co and remember to end your programming and do things that matter 